chapter 1, and we will be speaking of verses 18 through 25 that has already been read. Before I start, I would just like to make mention of the fact that if you're not all that familiar with Crossway Christian Church, but do happen to know that there are three elders here, myself being one of them, we have two Pastor Dougs that are not with us today and their families. And I am pleased to say that that is because both of them this week on Friday received degrees from Southern Seminary. And we thank God for their faithfulness to continue to seek him with every endeavor of their heart. Advent, not a word that we see in the Bible. It is a word that came about in the 12th century in, uh, from the English. And they took it from the Latin adventus, meaning arrival, appearance, And churches have used this word to focus on the four Sundays before the birth of Christ, Christmas. Christians on those Sundays focused on events leading up to Christ's birth. And here at Crossway, for as long as I can remember, that has also been done. Christmas, as we know, has become big business. And the birth of Christ seems to have been taken and put aside. We're bombarded by so many things to do at this time and so little time to do them that even Christians, I believe, need to be redirected as to what is important at this time of year. Last week, our Advent focus was on the role of prophecy. It highlighted the nature of the gospel we believe and is reliable because it is an act of God and gives hope to those who have faith. And this week, we will reflect on faith. Not all that God's word says about faith, because that wouldn't be a message. That would be a message series. But we are going to look at faith of one individual, Joseph, earthly father of Jesus. Whatever we have faith in will be reflected in how we live our life. And that might be that we have faith in something or someone. That faith, that trust, that hope, that belief, that assurance. It might be a spouse. It might be the government. It might be money, a job. It might be oneself. Now, if you thought while you heard the scripture read this morning about exactly what was going on and even listening to Rick's prayer, we might not have thought that much about would this be a text that would be seen as a faith text, but I believe it is. And we will see the faithfulness of the servant Joseph I'm not going to read the scripture completely again, but I will be using it as we go through our study. But the first thing I want us to see in verses 18 and 19 is faith is Joseph's pattern in life. His pattern. Joseph is a Jew. And as such, he lives underneath the rules that God gave Jews. How do we know that? How do we know that the pattern in Joseph's life is that he is faithful to that? Well, because he's betrothed to Mary 
and she was a virgin. I think that we have to understand a little bit more about what betrothed meant at that time. We would think of it and try and explain it today as an engagement, but at that time and in that culture, it was more than that. The husband and the wife, and those terms did apply even in a time of betrothal. He would have the responsibility for caring and nurturing and giving support to his wife. But they would not live together, and they would not have the sexual intimacy of marriage. That would be after marriage itself. And Mary was that way. She had not known a man. But there's more evidence of the pattern of faith in Joseph's life, and that is in verse 19. It says that he has two names used there. He has a husband, and he is a just man. Being a just man governs how he acts as a husband. And a just man would have actions which are in harmony with moral and ethical norms and be a strict observer of the law. That is how Joseph would see Mary. That is how he would conduct himself. He was faithful to the law of the Jews that God had given them. But that term that we see where it says just man, that can be a little deceiving, and we might read more into that than what's there. We might want to say to ourselves, God chose him because he was a just man. God chose Mary because of some favorable personality characteristic that she had. No, God chooses to use those that he chooses by his will. God does not look into the future or see whether that person has the capability of being used by him and being just or being a good person. No, God's will is always, he will make and change that person to his use, to his honor, to his glory. If anything, and this is where knowing Bible stories I think is so great, if anything, the pattern that we see in God's word, God chooses people that are lowly in stature to the world's standards those that are humble, over and over again. We can think of Moses, King David, and so many more, on and on. They were used by God, but they were humble people. God is the one that changes them to what his will would be. Just one other that I would point out would be Paul himself, the Apostle Paul. Paul, when he was given his testimony in Acts before the king, he said that he was a Pharisee among Pharisees. He did everything right. And we know what Paul did. He persecuted Christians. He had a life so far from God's will that we would think that somebody like that could never be used of God. There was nothing there that God would see favorable, but no God intervened in his life and made him his instrument of his work. By his will. Also, we see because he was a just man, he was unwilling to put Mary to shame. 
again, we have to go to the context of exactly what's happening at that time. They are betrothed. They are to be married. But she was found to be with child. And I think the term just put her to shame is a little light because if we understand what was happening in that culture, it's much more than shame going on that could be addressed to Mary. First of all, Numbers 5 tells us that a woman in that condition that was not married, that obviously had had some kind of sexual immorality, would have to go before a priest for examination to see exactly the cause and why the truth of the allegation, yes or no. That in itself would be the shame. But if it was said that she was with child, then we would have to go to Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 through 25, and then there is specific rules for the punishment that should come to that individual, and that is death for the man and the woman. So there's much more than just shame. But Joseph said he did not want to put Mary through that experience. Joseph chose instead compassion and to handle the matter quietly. As one commentator would say, and yet in tenderness for her, Joseph determined to do it in a privately, uh, do it privately as possible. I think we could make the argument or think, well, Joseph maybe didn't want to bring any shame to himself. Maybe no one would believe him that he wasn't part of this situation that this young woman found herself in. But no, it, it was more the nature of who he is. By wanting to put her settle this quietly and was willing to give her a divorce, what he was saying was he wanted to remove her from the obligation that she had of being betrothed, what was, which was to her benefit, because from that, if there was somebody else, she then could pursue that endeavor also. Joseph was thinking what was best for her. There is a pattern of faith in Joseph's life, all the way through this. So how does this help us in our life of faith? Well, I think in many cases it shows us to be gentle toward those that come under suspicion of having offended others or ourselves. Gentleness toward others. Now that's probably easy to do, easier to do for us if we're not the one being offended. But if we are, it's easy for us to think of revenge or to take matters into our own hands, wherever that might lead. But no, we should be gentle toward them. I would say that it would be also the way that it's said to us, we are innocent until proven guilty. That's how it is in the court of law. But unfortunately, I think today we use the court of public opinion. What does everybody say what's going on? 
And the more that something is said, the worse it gets. And unfortunately, I think what has fanned the fire of this wildfire that is out of control may be social media, where so quickly many can go and judge and spread what they may or may not know is fact. And by the click of a button, it can go all over the world. That's not what we should be doing. We should guard what we say, and we should show compassion. But we also should hope the best for the offender. That can be hard to do, especially when we are the one that's offended. And we should make the best of that which first appears bad. Things are not always what they seem. But we should look at the situation and wait until all has been said. Always, in all of these things, as we think of the faithfulness that we should have, we should remember that we should restore with a spirit of meekness and humility. Restoration is always what God intends to have happen in any situation or conflict. Restoration. This is a message in itself, but we must understand that we serve a God of restoration. He restored sinful mankind. He is the one that forgave sins and brought people unto himself. And he commands us to do the same, to restore. Matthew Henry would write, Those who would have direction from God must think on things themselves and consult with themselves. It is the thoughtful, not the unthinking, who God will guide. When he was lost, he meaning Joseph, when Joseph was lost and carried the matter as far as he could in his own thoughts, then God came in with advice. Joseph had thought this through as far as he could, and then God intervened. Matthew Henry would call it advice. It's God's word. He brought God's word into this, and that's what we see in verses 20 and 21. Faith is nurtured by, God, by the word of God. Joseph's first assurance, faith assurance, is a greeting by the angel. This greeting came about in the form of a dream. If we look in Luke, the uh, account of the angel Gabriel coming, he would personally visit Mary. There are those Bible scholars that say that this angel was one and the same. We don't know that. But we do know one thing about angels. They are ministering spirits sent by God to do God's will, and when they speak, they speak the word of God. And we have that recorded. When they speak with God's authority, it is the same as God himself speaking. And what did he say to Joseph himself? Two little things that can be overlooked very easily. He gave some family history of Joseph, and he said where the Savior would come from. He called Joseph the son of David. 
that the line of David was in Joseph himself. And Joseph, being a Jew, should know where was the Savior going to come from? From the line of David. The line of David would be completed through the earthly father, Joseph himself. The words of God came to him and he said, the angel said, do not fear, take Mary as your wife. Easier said than done. Don't have any fear. Go ahead, complete your plans. Let her be your wife. But think about what he must have been thinking about at that time. What he had to overcome in that fear he might have been afraid of the guilt and reproach that would come to him in this situation. Think of ourselves. We've probably all been in situations where, can this look badly on me? Is that a concern of ours? Absolutely. Maybe Mary told him the baby was by the Holy Spirit. We think that that should help the situation. If we can't understand that completely today, how could Joseph or Mary at that time? Maybe you heard that Elizabeth said to Mary in Luke 1 verse 43, called Mary the son of her Lord. The son of her Lord. And then Joseph's next, next thought would be, am I even good enough to be the husband of a woman of that great of value in God's sight? All of this. But God's word delivered Joseph from his fears, removed his doubts, so he can proceed in the life of faith by the leading of God's word. But there were two more pieces of information that came to him, and that was it would be a boy and in what the name would be. There was no ultrasound there was no advance knowing. But can you imagine that this angel spirit had enough confidence in his message that he would tell him, it will be a boy. You'll find that out. And here's the name. That was encouraging. Should have been a great encouragement to Joseph. But also, there were two great pillars of faith that came to him in this message the word of God through this angel. And that was this situation, this baby will save his people from their sins. When it says it will save his people, it goes much farther than just Jews because his people are going to be saved. God's word says, Jesus himself says, that all that has been given to me has been given to me by the Father. All those that come to me is by the will of God himself, the heavenly Father. It has not been known before this how that deliverance would come about and or what that deliverance would look like, but here it says, and Joseph has the information, it will remove their sins. It will save them from sin. But now Matthew switches from the word of God going just to Joseph and he takes and he gives that word to all that read his account of the gospel message. 
Matthew doesn't start out by a letter like Paul where he speaks of a a specific group that he's writing to. He's just making an account, and it's there forever. That's the way God intended it. He gave us his word, and it would last in truth forever. So we have the ability to look at it, and we understand that these words were true then to the people who read it, to us today when it says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This prophecy is our do not fear, our assurance of faith. Now, to better understand what faith is, I think that we have to go and look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. You can turn there if you would like. I'm going to read those verses to us. And it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old receive their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are invisible. It says, faith is assurance and conviction. And the people of old were given that, faith and assurance. And the rest of the chapter, verse, chapter 11, would go on and name person after person that had the assurance and the conviction through faith. But in these three verses, there's another example of faith and assurance. And the author of Hebrews uses creation itself. And it says, everything that is came into being by God's spoken word. It was not by matter coming together that was already there. It was only by the power of God, and he spoke it. The assurance that we have today is that the Son of Man would be born of a virgin and he would save his people. And lastly, in faith, Joseph is obedient. Verses 24 and 25, Joseph is obedient. God's word says, When Joseph woke from sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, he took his wife, but knew her not until, he had, until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So I guess it would be easiest, easy for us to say, well, with the reassurance that Joseph got, he knew the course of action that he should take, And he was faithful. Yes, that's true. But did it answer all the questions in life that Joseph would need to be a father? Absolutely not. There isn't all that much account in God's word about Joseph's role in Jesus' life. A few things. But one of the things that I find interesting and says how faithful and obedient 
Joseph was is something that we really have to look at to understand. And those are the accounts of when Jesus in his life went to his hometown, which was Nazareth. And what we know happened at that time is when he went there, he was rejected by his own people. He went there with his mother, his brothers, his sisters. They were there, and the response that the people gave to, the, to him was, in Matthew, it says, Is this not the carpenter's son? Jesus must have lived a life with his father, Joseph, the carpenter, and people saw that. I think of Joseph investing time in Jesus, maybe showing him his trade, being with him, and that's how he's remembered in the community where he grew up. But in Luke, it goes a little bit farther than that, and it says the same rejection took place. But then it says, is this not the carpenter? It's not referring to Jesus' father. We wonder what Jesus looked like. He looked like, he smelled like, he acted like. He was a carpenter to them. He was as human as the rest of them around him. And where did that come from? from his earthly father, Joseph. Joseph didn't have all the answers, but he was faithful, and he was willing to be obedient. So what does that tell us about obedience? How should we respond? I think like Joseph, we should respond with promptness. It says that after the dream was over, he started in action what he was told to do. Promptness for us should be good. It should go and be part of our walk with God. We should do it cheerfully. That might not always be easy, but it should be part of what we do. I think we all understand that when something is done and it isn't done in an attitude of love and cheerfulness toward God, It is no accepted gift of God. He wants us to be cheerful. And without dispute, let's not argue, let's not change, try to change what is told of us. We see in history, in God's history, the Bible, those that try to change the instructions of God and not do it the way that he said, it did not go well with them. But it also should be in complete submission. That should be our goal of obedience. Complete submission in every part of our life. And it will take us all of our life to accomplish that. But it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that that can happen. And we will never be complete until we are before God in His glory and in His presence for an eternity in the next life. Yesterday when we were at Bangor Downs and Laura Sweet shared again with the children that were there um, the birth of Jesus at the nativity scene, we heard about how it came to the shepherds that they were going to have good news brought to them, that the, the angels wanted to share with them 
something that was coming from God. And he said, the angel said, fear not. That's three times in this story that we are told that people shouldn't fear what's going on. Joseph was told that. Mary was told, be not afraid. Do not fear of things that you cannot completely understand. But they were given a charge, and that charge goes to us also, I believe. The, the angel said, go, but also go and tell. And we must do the same. We must tell what Christ has done in our lives, that we were lost in sin, that there was nothing that we could do to make us right before a just and loving and holy God, but the atoning work of Christ on the cross has made us right before God. God does not see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ. And we should be quick to share the gospel message with others. A pattern of faith, faith nurtured by the word of God and faithful obedience. There is only one way for Joseph or anyone else to respond in that manner, and it is only by faith in God Almighty and by his leading. We may never receive extraordinary instructions from God himself. We may never be used in a manner like Joseph was. But in those times that we are, and doubts may come into our own minds, we must remember that God gives us hints of providence, that our conscience and the advice of friends and always the word of God will strengthen our faith and lead us in the way that we should go. It's in great turning points in our life, like Joseph experienced, to living each day that we live by faith in God, trusting in him. We live life because of a faithful God. He is our assurance and our conviction. Let's pray. God, may we see this day that, that those that you use in life, in this story, are of your choosing. They are faithful. And by faith, they respond to the calling that you have put on them. Lord, may we do the same. May we, in this time of year, on this Sunday, have greater conviction, Lord, that it is not just a holiday season. It is a time when we reflect on the reason why you came into this world to begin with. May that put us in awe of your mercy, your grace, your plan, your love for us, your compassion, but also may it remind us that there has to be a penalty paid for sin. Sin is real and it's in our lives and it must be dealt with. And you have done that through the atoning work of your son and we thank you for that. We thank you for faithful people that have shown us through your word that you will use who you choose, and it will always be to your honor and to your glory. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen.